Hello, everyone, and welcome to Nice Jewish Fangirls, presented by JewishCoffeeHouse.com. Nice Jewish Fangirls is a podcast, not a new podcast, because we have one episode out already, but a podcast <laughs> where uh, three Jewish women from New York City discuss the things that we are obsessed with. My name is Michal Schick, and I'm your host, and I'm joined by Tamar Herman. Hello. And S.M. Rosenberg. Hiya. So we're going to kick things off today. Our subject, I should say, as you can probably tell from the title, is going to be Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them by J.K. Rowling and a lot of other people. And it's going to be awesome. Uh, But first, we're just going to do a quick little segment on the things that we are obsessed with. And I'm calling this right now, I'm obsessed with dot, dot, dot. So right now, I am obsessed with, this is weird, but a British YouTuber slash gymnast uh, called Niall Wilson, who is like 20 and he just won the bronze in, on the high bar in uh, in Rio. And I'm like obsessed with gymnastics anyway, but usually not men's gymnastics. And then I fell through like a rabbit hole on YouTube into his vlogs and he's from Leeds and has an amazing accent and I'm just, I'm all over it. <laughs> not not in a bad way. Don't. <laughs> I really like watching his vlogs. The end. Uh, SM, what are you obsessed with? Okay, since your obsession is mildly embarrassing, I feel less embarrassed telling about this, because I'll call it an obsession because it's what I've currently been binge-watching on Netflix. Um, I can't say that I really like it that much, but I honestly, I would say that this is probably the worst show that I have ever watched this much of. Um, I'm watching Allie McBeal. And it is god-awful. It is so bad. (laughs) It's the worst thing ever. Um, And I think that the reason that I I watch it and I enjoy it is because, number one, it's, you know, whatever it is, it's not depressing. And number two, I think I must just really enjoy feeling smugly superior to all of the characters because they are all so terrible at everything. They They are just bad at life. And it's like, no matter how bad... I am doing at the moment, you know, or whenever I happen to, you know, be in my life, I can just feel better watching them and seeing how terrible they are at everything. Yeah. Oh, man. And that's from, like, what, the late 90s, right? It's from the 90s, and, like, the their version of 90s feminism is just horrifying. Yeah. Um, and Portia de Rossi just um, joined the cast, and she is obviously excellent, but, you know, just, like the writing on the show it's it's by the same guy who did the practice but the practice is just an infinitely better show and and that's the practice so what and that's the practice yeah the bar is not super high to begin with i don't know i like the practice a lot okay sorry (laughs) never mind no judgy and tamar right now what are you obsessed with I was going to talk about the sharon shin book and quiet earth uh, unquiet land because i read it this weekend Uh, But now I want to talk about how I like The West Wing, and I just started watching that after, like, years of procrastinating to counter your horrible Ali McBeal experience, because instead (laughs) of, like, finding it cathartic and just thinking how great my life is, I'm, like, watching this and wishing that was our political situation right now. Uh, And I finally understand why people like West Wing, and I kind of get why it's now, like, this, like, burgeoning fandom that people are into. The West Wing is amazing. It's gotten a lot of people into politics. Yeah, it's still on my list. I'm sure I'll get to it eventually. But there's like a fandom around West Wing and now there's podcasts and all this stuff. Like, I get nostalgia and everything, but it's a, it's like a political drama. You'd think it wouldn't have like a fandom, but it does. No, it's a, it's a really great, it's, it's really great drama. It's just, it's really solid. And then there are occasional spots where like newsroom Sorkin pokes through and like 
their, the treatment of women can sometimes get iffy, and I had issues with it in certain places, but overall, as a show, it's, it's really solid. And a uh, shout out to Joshua Molina, who is a fellow member of the tribe, and proud of it. He used to have as his Twitter bio, you know, hi, I'm, uh, I, I ruined the West Wing. I think that was like his, <laughs> his, his Twitter bio. <laughs> oh man, he's definitely on my list for people that I would love to interview at some eventual date, but we'll see, we'll see. Uh, okay, so that is what we're obsessed with, and now we're going to go to like the big thing that we're obsessed with, which is, as I said at the top of the show, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. So this movie came out uh, last week, two weeks ago, and we're all kind of settling in, I think, to this new big piece of potter that's in our lives. Uh, so Tamar, why don't you tell us your initial reactions and, and how you feel, even though you only saw it once, so you're not a real fan, by the way. Never, guys. I've read the book so many times, it doesn't even matter at this point. I know. Uh, so when I walked out of the movie theater, I was kind of, like, satisfied. And as I walked out, I felt things that I wasn't satisfied with. Um, but I really did like it. I really want a pet Niffler. If oh, my God, I want one so bad. Um, I, there were things I definitely enjoyed in the movie. There were things I definitely didn't enjoy in the movie. I thought that there was... Spoilers. We are talking about spoilers, whatever. We'll put a big spoiler warning on this, the whole episode. Yeah. Um, but just during that, like, reveal, people in our theaters literally were gasping, like, <gasps> like, <laughs> it's, like, not fake, and me and my friend just looked at each other, and we're like, since the moment he came on scene, of course he's Grindelwald, like... He had the, the same haircut. Not even that, the beginning of the movie began with, where's Grindelwald? Like, there was newspapers at the beginning, of course he's the big bad guy in this movie, and, like, I couldn't understand it, I just thought there was a lot of or foreshadowing and in retrospect the plot was fine but like come on Newt, you're a relative genius and you're going on like a scientific adventure but you lose your suitcase so I mean like yes like you have to put your uh, intelligence on hold for some Harry Potter things but like there was a lot going on in the plot that I had trouble with that I wish like they would have done a better job on yeah if you just used the summoning charm on the Niffler there would be no movie I mean, yeah, so the part of it was clearly, okay, we're making a movie that's a bit funny and a bit plot and a bit more Harry Potter world. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I thought it did a good job. It was exactly, I walked out of it for the first time. I have never really enjoyed any of the Harry Potter movies. Yeah, they're pretty much terrible. Yeah, and <laughs> I'm glad you said it. But I feel like there was always a lot of problems and they never matched up to like what I envisioned of the books. And this one, because I didn't have a book to base it off of, I came out a lot more satisfied. But at the same time, as a highly critical viewer who knows Harry Potter inside out, I thought there were some really random things that were kind of using. Um, and just some general plot things, like why the hell did Newt not know how any American witches or wizards work at all? Like, he didn't know anything. And I was just like, that's not how Europe and America was in the early 1900s. Like, they weren't this separate. Like, okay, fine, cultural difference exists even to this day, but you didn't know anything? I thought it was strange. I don't know, he didn't know anything about a lot of things, and that bothered me about his character in the beginning. I felt like, you know, he was very bumbly, and he just seemed like, you know, he would lose his head if it wasn't attached to his shoulders. You know, and then when you finally do get to see him later in the movie in his element, where, you know, you get to see all the things he's learned and all the magic that he can do, um, and how much he cares about the creatures. And there was the one line in the in the time when he was being interrogated about the Obscurus and Grind and whatever, Colin Farrell, Grindelwald, asks him um, about the Obscurus and said, it's, so it's 
it's useless in its current form. It's useless without the child. And he says, you know, and he's just like so genuinely affected by the idea that anyone would want to use it for anything. He's just like, that's a, it's a parasitic dark force that killed a child. What on earth would you use it for? And it just like, I, f I feel like that was my turning point for his character because it just, that was, I felt like the essence of his character about how much he cares about the good in the world and trying to minimize the bad. I don't hate Newt. I think that hang on, hang on, guys. We can actually get into Newt in a second. Um, but SM, do you have any like general thoughts? General thoughts. Um, well, I enjoyed the movie and I actually liked it better the second time, even though I, did I, actually. I didn't think that it was the kind of movie that I would enjoy seeing twice. Like I wasn't terribly enthusiastic about seeing it the second time, but I went because my whole family was going and I wanted to have that family experience on Thanksgiving. So yeah, I didn't think that it was the type of movie that I would want to see again because it felt like there were a lot of long pauses. I thought that it, you know, there wasn't there wasn't so much to see because um, there were a lot of long drawn out scenes that were just basically the visual effects of you just being in the universe. And I didn't feel like that would. I felt like it would just drag more the second time, but it actually dragged less, uh, in my opinion, because when you're watching it the first time and you don't know what's going to happen, you're just waiting the whole time for the next plot development, and so all the drag feels all the more draggy, I guess. <laughs> and when you know what's going to happen, you don't feel that sense, that same suspense, and for some reason, all those, all those long panning camera shots and all that stuff, it just felt like it wasn't taking as long because I wasn't sitting there waiting to find out what happened. Yeah, I, I agree. The first time I saw it, I actually saw it at um, the charity event that J.K. Rowling did at Carnegie Hall, and I was about a thousand feet from the screen. Um, so, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and my initial thought was that I could, it was very difficult to hear, and I was like, oh, well, that's just because I'm in Carnegie Hall, and like, they're not set up for that. No, it was the same situation when I saw the movie. Um, I, I, I think it needed like serious yeah, there were some ADR. lines I couldn't hear. Yeah, okay. it was very odd. It was very mumbly. I thought something was wrong with the audio in our theater. Nope. It's just fantastic beasts. I don't know, maybe maybe the English just speak at a lower yeah, decibel than we do. Like Queenie said, like Queenie said, the accent throws us. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, but in general, I, I think having seen it twice, what I've come away with from this movie is the idea that it is deeply thematic and also a prologue. So I think a lot of the issues with it, aside from the inexplicably low volume, are are due to those two factors. It's not a story that stands on its own, really, because it relies so heavily on the revelation of Grindelwald. And there is great character work, and there is, you know, a lot of interiority that does not come across, but you can kind of see, like, Tina. Um, I, I went into this movie wanting to, like, fall head over heels in love with Tina, wanting to buy a Funko Pop of her, have all the, all the stuff, dress up, as her for Purim, and I came out of my first screening going, well, she was a wooden board and nothing happened. Yeah, there wasn't much there. Um, on, on second viewing, I will say, I think I, I saw more of what was going on behind her her facade, um, but I think a lot of that is due to the fact that it is a prologue and there isn't a lot for her to really do. That you know, the, yeah. the people who come across, I think the best realized, are the ones who play very integrally 
into the in, integrally in whatever into the story like the functional you know the stuff that gets newt to that point at the end where they're all confronting Grindle, Grindelwald, like Jacob. You know, Jacob, I think, is delightful and wonderful and comes across terrifically. Um, but I, but I will say, like, the more I think about it, the more I feel that this is almost more of a spiritual successor to uh, the Casual Vacancy than it is to Potter, in a way. Um, did you guys read the Casual Vacancy? Did you? Did you put I did yourself read the Casual that? Vacancy? This is not nearly as dark as that. Oh no, no, it's definitely not. That that is for like like a grown-up people and this is for you know more but in terms of pacing and atmosphere well i yeah and i think in terms of thematics like that that book has a lot of issues because it is driven like almost entirely by its ideas and by what what joe rowling wants to say about england and about small town life and about you know the social system and this movie in my opinion anyway, works the same way. She wants to say things about about people who are on the sidelines or who are who are pushed aside by their societies. We see that both in, in the muggle and in the wizarding societies. Uh, she really wants to go into that. She wants to bring in some of her the work that she does with Lumos, you know, with, with children in orphanages. There's a lot there and it is, I think, a very rich palette of the story, but it doesn't necessarily all come across. And I think sometimes it gets kind of jumbled where you'll have whole scenes that are like, there's like a thematic thing here that's cool and like a character moment that's cool and then a really funny line of dialogue, but none of it totally meshes. Does that make sense? I didn't have that problem so much. I can see that the story is a bit, you know, is a bit thin, but I did feel like, because I guess I went in wondering what, what there was going to be aside from it just sounded like Newt comes to New York, his creatures get loose, and then he spends the movie trying to corral them. Mayhem and, ensues. You know, and, and that you know that just didn't sound like much of a story at all. And so then when they introduce the entire other social element, and then the entire the entire credence plot, uh, and then they set up Grindelwald and all that, that just that added a lot, obviously, a lot more depth than my original expectations. So I guess it's also a function of expectations and what mm-hmm. you thought you were going into. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say I, I was I, I went into it afraid that it would be terrible, and it is by no mm-hmm. means terrible. So <laughs> on, yeah. the, on that level, I think I know some know. friends who are very disappointed in it um, because it's just it's not an exploration of how American society, magical society, came to be. And they feel like that's a massive missed, oppor- missed opportunity. And to me, like, that was never what this movie was going to be. So it didn't bother me that way. She already wrote that, essentially. Like, she uploaded old Yingo on the Pottermore about the, like, in the morning and the families and why, how it got founded. And, like... Yeah, I didn't read it. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, I didn't read all of it, but... I'm a bad fan. I haven't read anything that she's put on Pottermore. Uh, so she wrote the background of the Wizarding School in... Um, America and like she gave it like a family relationship to the Goldstein. So I didn't feel like there was any need. I think the movie did a really good job at setting up a prelude to Voldemort, uh, to Voldemort, to Dumbledore's confrontation with Grindelwald. I'm just kind of confused about if this is the Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them series or if this is Dumbledore versus Grindelwald series. Like I don't know where the movie's going to forward from here. Like are we going to see Newt and Tina and Queenie and Jacob and all the other four? movies like yeah that i was wasn't sure about that either i don't know where they're going from here 
It, it is definitely, in my opinion, the latter. This the, and which is why I feel like it's this movie is a prologue, because the story that we're ultimately telling, and hopefully Newt and Tina, I don't know about Queenie and 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 Jacob, but hopefully Newt and Tina will be able to, you know, be involved in this grander story somehow. I mean, it doesn't that doesn't seem that unlikely to me. I mean, Tina's an auror and a very talented witch, and you know, Newt is is. Queenie. Very, I love know, Queenie. Yeah. The um, um, but actually, what I came out with, once they came out, 45, and we're not necessarily sure if this is, the movie's really about Newt and the others, or if it's about the whole dog and the wall. Uh, I was kind of wondering if the title is of a euphemism. Um, fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them is Finding the Fantastic Humans Amongst mm. Humanity. Um, oh, I like that. Just based on the movie and, and what J.K. Rowling has said this whole, like, her whole, like, Harry Potter is very relatively juvenile series in many ways, but it is about racism, and it is about people killing others because of racism, and this movie continues that. Like, it doesn't matter that um, Newt and Queenie, uh, Newt, and, Newt and Tina really didn't do anything right, but they just had, oh, here's a trial because you messed up and you're going to jail because we don't want to listen to you. It was about non-democratic justice, and then you had of like, oh, we don't ever talk to muggles. We never interact with them, which was very different. You also have the whole, you know, that everybody's afraid of the the magical beasts and Newt is the only one who sees their their promise and their potential and and their beauty, really. That confused me, because from Harry Potter, that's not really what even European wizards have felt historically. Like, there definitely is, like, prejudice, but it's mostly towards, like, human creatures. Like werewolves and villas, like there's some sort of reluctance to accept them as actual people. and like giants. giants. Uh, but like other creatures, it never felt like. Uh, what's the, the yeah? No, the there's never been like any kind of rabid animal rights activism, you know. And but arguably yeah, that's because right. Newt Scamander, you know, Newt Scamander's book is part of the Hogwarts curriculum. Yeah, you know? I think that's what we're supposed to understand. That so it's I changed mean, that entire aspect of wizarding life. Which I mean, I really think was a beautiful part of the it might be my favorite like newt as a character might be my favorite thing to come out of this because i i did initially see him as bumbling and i think a lot of those cues that we get of like oh he'd lose his head you know if it wasn't attached to the shoulders are are actually his like just just a complete difference in focus you know he mm-hmm. is not like I feel like if he had chosen to be uh, an accountant or something, like had it had a different occupation and didn't feel like the fate of magical beast kind was was weighing on his shoulders, then he might have had a chance of being a slightly more together person. But because he has chosen, partly partly chosen, partly I guess been called or or needs to be so devoted to these beasts that's just where his his head is it literally is and i i found that deeply moving when it comes to the like when he's exploring the world for the first time and it's also a weird magic moment in my mind that her father's magic um like how big it is yeah like it's a tardis (laughs) no it's bigger than a tardis like i don't know the tardis has a swimming pool you know the the only the only thing that I like could grab onto is that maybe like when you go into the um, the part with the obscurial and I say you because it is really beautifully immersive but uh, you know there's kind of like a it 
like a flap like it feels yeah, like there's different like scenes so yeah. right so when like all the beasts are like like trumpeting off into the wilderness and it looks like thousands of miles i'm assuming it's not actually that big it's just like it just looks that big yeah no like all the different sections they clearly had walls that were painted to look like the scenery that the animals would be comfortable in yeah but anyway i'm sorry tomorrow you were saying oh um like i have to like gather my thoughts in the world um just that nate is bumbling but he's bumbling because he's so focused on his creatures like he is so single-minded about, like, getting the Niffler back that he doesn't really think twice about, like, you know, like, breaking into a bank or breaking into a jewelry store. It's just like, I need to get my creature before he gets in trouble. I, I don't think it was before he does trouble. I think it's more, what am I going to do if I lose him? Yeah, and, agreed. Like, all of his creatures, like, they were getting out. I don't think it was, I mean, this is going to make me think, sound like I think Nate's a horrible person. Nate's a horrible person, and I don't think that at all. But... Every time he had to go chase a creature, it was his first concern wasn't necessarily humans. His first concern was he was worried that they were gonna that the humans were gonna kill the creatures. Yeah, and it's interesting because I do think we were having a conversation um, on our on our Facebook group um, about this, and I I did realize that I think he almost views Muggles as like a type of creature, which I love because. Really, there is a lot of prejudice in in English wizarding society against muggles. So, of course, he would be like, oh, my little, I'm going to protect them, you know. But I think in terms of other wizards, he his default mode is suspicious, is stay away from me, is you're not going to like me, so automatically I'm not going to like you. And that's a really interesting place for a character to start. Yeah, he is very British and very standoffish with other wizards. Yeah, I mean, not to malign all of all of Britishdom, but uh, um, no, but I do think that's partly like particularly new. I, I mean, even even that little line about like, I mean, maybe there's more to this, but like even when you know, um, Grindelgraves says like, why does Albus Dumbledore? Why is he so interested in you? And he says, I have no idea. And part of me really wants to hope that he he doesn't have any idea. That he yeah. doesn't, like, I buy he doesn't that. have, yeah, he doesn't have this deep connection with Dumbledore. Dumbledore is just like, hey, this is a good kid who's different. Can we talk and, um, about how Grindelgraves said that? And how, you know, I, I just that, thought it was really adorable. You know, I, that he's like, he, he wants to know what Dumbledore thinks. I, <laughs> that's my little fangirl heart there. What is my boyfriend up to? <laughs> yeah. So, um, I, I thought it was more because he wants, he thinks still, he remembers Dumbledore as being a power-hungry teenager. And I think he thinks, does Dumbledore think that Newt has some power or some uh, some way to lead me to a power source, like a creature that Dumbledore knows, knows of, and that's why Dumbledore is such a fan of Newt. Like, I think... That is a very interesting angle. I'm not the biggest fan of Dumbledore. Like, I think that Dumbledore is much darker than a lot of people like to think of him. Um, and That's why I'm so excited for the next movies. I want to know who they're going to cast and how they're going to do things. It's going to be so Tom cool. Tom Hiddleston! We'll talk about it. Anyway, I don't continue. want Tom Hiddleston! <laughs> um, but, but yeah, no, and I think part of it might just be, you know, Grindelwald being, like, you know, source of information, you know, that, that I have about, uh, you know, about Dumbledore. Like, whether, I don't even know if it's positive, negative, you know, romantically interested or, or just calculating. Um, but, but something that I really, really like, actually, and, and I'm a little bit awed at how prescient uh, it is, is that, like, she has set up this whole situation in which um, Grindelwald is attracting and, and, and holds as his motto 
the idea that people are ca- cast aside by their society and and they are they are almost in a way homeless like spiritually homeless they are despised by other people and to me that you know I, Voldemort's a great villain but like he's just evil you know and this is really really interesting and also very reflective of what's going on in like today you know uh so so i'm i I don't i don't know i'm i'm very curious because i think that future movies could just kind of go crazy um and be super weird and maybe too involved in in things that you know should be summarized rather than than detailed but i don't know as of now i'm kind of psyched so um does anyone want to say anything about any other characters we had some some love for queenie before yeah i love queenie um yeah i mean the actress looked really familiar but i don't think i've actually seen her before i think she's maybe just you know you know, frenzy if you ever listen to her hmm? you know the musician a fine frenzy i do not yeah somebody else like posted about you know some obscure place where they'd seen her and i was like well i wish i had seen that because then i would understand why she looks so familiar but i think it must just be you know the eyes and the bone structure that is just similar to you know a type of actress but um yeah i i love how you know she she can read minds but that doesn't make her cynical because there are so many, you know, mind-reading characters that I feel like, you know, it automatically just makes you cynical because you hear everybody's darkest secrets and you hear all those things, but she, you know, somehow they wrote her as as this really pure and optimistic person, which I don't know how realistic that is, and I hope we get to see more of it and we get to see more depth to her. But like you said, I'm not sure she's going to show up in the other movies. I, I found her... I mean, I think... I think they'll be back in at least one movie. <laughs> like they might not be part of the entire story, her and Jacob, but I feel like they'll show up. I feel at like least it's too more. useful for them to discard entirely. Yeah, um, I will say I don't know if the Legilimens thing really worked for me because I'm never super comfortable with like constant mind reading as a device because then it's just like, well, nobody could ever get one over on you. But I do like that. I agree. Like it, it almost makes Queenie not not cynical, but it makes her almost more open, but also more personally guarded. Like, I feel like she doesn't have a lot of close relationships with people. That that may just be me headcanoning, but I feel like the brief glimpses we get of her work in the ministry make it seem like she is something of a, of a paradoxical loner. Yeah, uh, she and seems that, a bit isolated. Yeah, and that's why her relationship with Jacob works for me. Like, it's not like... Like, I agree, it definitely is, like, schlubby guy, a, a hot girl, you know, but, right, but they genuinely connect, and they both genuinely need people like each other, so so I was kind of into that. Yeah, I thought that romance worked much better than the Tina Newt romance, which seemed, like, shoehorned in there at the end. Well, that's not really, I mean, that that's kind of just, like, oh, we both kind of like each other, not sure what to do with this, yeah, cool, it was like, you know. Yeah, it was but, kind of, But like that's fine, like, to me, that's Hollywood. fine, I... I would have been more annoyed if they had like actually been like we're in love or blah blah blah. I, I liked that they were both worse. kind of. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll grant you that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because I I like slow burn relationships, so I'm I'm very pleased. I'm very okay with them just being like movie by movie. Like I think we like each other. Uh oh, I'm not sure how I feel about this, but I like you. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm okay if we continue with the with the cute awkwardness for a while. Um, Tamar, any thoughts on that on that subject about Amy? Um, I really did not 
like enjoy it all that she was a little, a little, I'm not gonna try to say that. Legilimens. Legilimens. Yeah, uh, Um, she has legs. Partially because they were saying in the Harry Potter series that Voldemort was the most talented one of his generation or the best uh, of his generation. And now you're coming in and saying, oh no, but there's natural born ones who never can turn it off and they're always reading people's minds. So that was just something from the Potterverse that bothered me. Um, like, I didn't realize that was a thing, and now you're saying it is. But then again, we had the Cursed Child with Time Turners that shouldn't... Nope, 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 we're not talking about Spoilers. the Cursed Child. Spoilers. <laughs> anyway, okay, also, um, I mean, obviously... Not my canon. Going into the movies, you do, you are aware that Hina and Newt will get married, and that Queenie will likely have... Will be the one passing on the Goldstein name, because Newt passes on the Scamander name, and... I'm guessing Queenie's the one who keeps the Goldstein one, which would mean that she'd have to marry a muggle because they go by wizard last names at the time. So that means Anthony Goldstein, aka Token Jew and Harry Potter, um, is is Queenie's descendant, and she marries a muggle. So going into the movie, I was kind of like, they're related to you know family. I didn't England, know all of know. this history, so like this didn't even enter into my uh, calculations. Lovegood marries Tina and Newt's descendant, and Anthony Goldstein appears to be descended from. So. Based in the Harry Potter universe, most muggle-born, most um, half-bloods go by the, the wizarding name because wizarding names have some sort of, like, hierarchy. Like, I was just reading something about how Potters weren't one of the 35 bloodline families that have a good last name, but they're still respected. I don't know what I read most of the time. Um, <laughs> Where did this come from? Was <laughs> that on fanfiction.net tomorrow? <laughs> looked it's at not fanfiction. real fanfic. I was like, I was like 13. Um, I'm not a, the biggest fan fiction opponent, um, but we'll have to talk about that in another episode. Yes, we have to have a whole episode about fanfic. I'm just be sitting here like uh, whatever. Like I have no real feelings about fanfic, but I'm just saying I definitely wasn't reading. About I wrote fanfic. a 16-page okay. paper on fanfic in my freshman year of college, so I have thoughts. <laughs> definitely. Um, but yeah, so I mean, there is something. It seems likely that Queenie will end up with a muggle, so going into the whole movie, I kind of knew who was going to be through based on that. I could be wrong, and I would love to be wrong, because I like getting surprised, and I'm usually not surprised when I movies nowadays. Um, well, I think we we did know from another source. I don't know what it was, but like I knew that, that Jacob and Queenie got together, and obviously we know that Newt and Tina get together. Right, but I, I don't know I didn't know Newt and Tina were going to get together before I saw this movie. <laughs> Isn't it in the Potter books? Something? I don't, I don't think know. so. Don't Newt's commander isn't really a character. There was the wizarding tree that Big um, Raleigh released, so it may have been there. But I, I mean, going into the movie, it was clear there was going to be coupling up. But like, because we know that there's going to be Scamanders and we know there's going to be Goldsteins, I was kind of just like, ah, so we're not. I having just knew that there was going to be there was going to be Anthony Goldstein. That was like legit. That's all I knew. So. Yeah, so there's also Scamanders, so I assumed that Anders and with Goldstein. Going in, I kind of was just like, well, there goes any shot at killing any of the main characters, which I makes me sound really dark, but I, I, really, <laughs> I really like being surprised, but it's not coming from the outfields. Like, George R. R. Martin does a really good job killing off characters that makes it shocking, but doesn't make it so ridiculous. Like, Jodie Picoult, who I cannot stand as an author, because it, it comes so far out in the outfield that it just makes sense. But George R. R. Martin's styling is that, like, there's some foreshadowing, but you're just... Because they live in, you know, Game of Thrones, they live in this terrible universe where everybody dies. So, like, yeah, anybody can die. So it's never, it never feels like it's ridiculous because it was always a possibility. Well, were you expecting Credence to die? Because I wasn't. No, I was hoping he would live. But I wanted, and I wanted to know, you know, 
what would happen to him when he lived and what how his powers you know manifest and what kind of what he would grow up to be and like would he work for Grindelwald what would happen you know and then they killed him and then I was sad I read that there was an alternate version of the film that had him alive and that's not the one they put in theaters that they had filmed the scene of him walking the main station as it gone hmm. I'm not convinced he's like dead dead but but for now he's dead yeah, sometimes they do scenes like that so that um test audiences and extras won't be able to spoil the movie um because they don't know the actual ending they know like two different alternates and they haven't been told which is the final one so they can't spoil it well um they did in 24 that's all i that's why i remember that okay so any any other thoughts on the uh on the main part of the movie and then we'll we'll get on to the the i loved (laughs) i love the the bow truckle what was his name i loved him picket i think yeah, I don't know. So he was cute. adorable, and I want one. Yeah, I thought all the beasts were. I was. I was quite delighted by the beasts, and I didn't expect to be. I thought it was just going to be like, okay, there's a stuffed animal. This, but like, I actually, you know, th- there is a certain, I think, rolling esque something of like the intense, the intensity with which she believes in her world, and obviously all creators believe in their worlds. But like, I, I don't know. There was something that carried over, and I found it really wonderful and believable um i really liked that they didn't try to make the cgi too realistic like it's not game of thrones where they make the dragons actually appear realistic like this is clearly cgi and i kind of think that worked really well with the magical aspects of the world like you are putting reality on hold for while you're watching this movie so it didn't matter that they weren't the most realistic creatures ever to appear on film and i thought it worked so nicely and it helped make like the graphics were just about the yeah agreed agreed so uh, now we're going to talk about the uh, the Jewish angle of Fantastic Beasts and where to find them, otherwise known as the Jewish angle, as what Jewish angle <laughs> of Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. Um, because I don't know about you guys, uh, but I had kind of high hopes that we might get some more Jewish representation in Fantastic Beasts, and that really wasn't the case so much. Yeah, it was. It was just the names. And there was nothing Jewish about their the characters or their behaviors um, or any. I mean, I mean the odds of it being a holiday when Newt happens to come to New York are not super high. I don't but, know if it's September. He's in good luck. Yeah, I don't know when it, when exactly it was. That was an issue also with the the setting. I didn't feel like the setting. You know, the New York setting was necessary in terms of it had to be somewhere in America, and this seemed like a logical place, but it didn't feel particularly New York. It could have happened in pretty much any city. I agree. I actually thought that, that some of the most realistic uh, parts to me felt were the, like, the wizarding, like, uh, Makusa. I thought that felt more real, almost, than, than anything we saw outside. You mean, like, Macy's didn't look right? It just, I don't know, it, it looked like a film set. It looked... You know, it looked kind of like a back lot. I was in the AMC 34th Street Theater, so like half of the movie takes place in 34. Right. <laughs> so like every five seconds, like every time they mention like a location, we're all like looking around, like, huh? I love it when that happens. Oh my god! I okay. Sidebar: I saw Iron Man two uh, in in um, College Point, and uh, oh my god! And, and that like takes place right there, and they basically blow up my way home. And like literally everybody in the movie theater was like, well, okay. (laughs) So good thing that's not real. Anyway, carry on. But yeah, so even if it wasn't a Jewish holiday, you could have, there were easily ways the production design could have put in 
little Jewish touches in the background of their apartment. Because, like, you walk into a Jewish home, you, you almost always can, can see something, you know? And, like, I don't know... You know, clearly they were they were portraying the Goldsteins as super secular Jews. I don't know what the community was like back then, but like if you were in New York and you were Jewish, but probably religious at that point in time. I or don't know. Affiliated in some way. Yeah, I you, mean, you had some kind of affiliation. Also, I got into a whole discussion with a friend about like how wizard and secrecy work in the Jewish community because it's so community and family oriented that like if you have. If you ha have magic, you can't just, you know, go off and live a separate life because you have to be part of the community because you can't be an observant or affiliated Jew without having a community. So, like, how did that work? And I don't know if that's something that J.K. Rowling, you know, even intended, has any intention of exploring because, you know, that's not really her background. I mean, the biggest problem with that would be that according to Jewish law, like, you're not allowed to use magic. So, like, I don't think anybody would be involved in a community well, I mean, there could be, you know, like, would there, you know, be rulings on, you know, you can do magic, but you can't do necromancy, you know, and things yeah. like that. My my personal uh, headcanon for this is that magic is a a natural, physical, um, it, it's, it's like a real thing. Right, exactly. It's not something, like, it's just, it's like you're a great runner, you know, um, something like that. So it wouldn't be... Um, like there would maybe be parts of magic that would be considered Keyshif, but uh, but like as a whole, normal Harry Potter magic would not be. That's mm -hmm. my headcanon because otherwise you can't have any Jewish characters doing it and feel good about it. So yeah, or you could just say that, that they're entirely secular. But like it would be or nice that. to have you know a from Jewish wizard at some point. You know, yeah. which that would be. I'm really sorry, cool. Tamar. What were you saying? My other thing was, do you really go into the movie expecting them to really show off how Jewish they were? Like, I don't remember any instance in Harry Potter where even characters were wearing crosses. Like, they never made a point of showing anyone's religion as well. Yeah, but they did have Christmas and really extensive decorations and Halloween stuff, you know? So, like, they could have had, you know, some kind of, you know, they could have had a, a menorah on the shelf or a mug and dove anywhere. Yeah, know? here's the thing. That's... That's really what I was going in wanting. I was actually curious. I thought for a second they might do that thing where, you know, you know, Nude and Tina have that conversation about how it's ridiculous that they can't marry uh, nomages, you know, and, and I, I thought they might bring that into like, oh, well, we can't marry, you know, Gentiles or whatever. Um, so I was actually wondering if there might be a bigger thread. I'm kind of glad that they didn't do that particular thing. Um, yeah. But I, and, and, and to be clear, I don't feel like we were like super owed, you know, Jewish. No, I mean, nobody owes us anything. It just would well, have been nice. Right, exactly. So I really, I was kind of disappointed that like their apartment wasn't like, there wasn't a menorah and there wasn't a, you know, whatever. And any Hebrew just, books or anything. Right, what, what they would the have had, country. you know, like if they could have had a two second, you know, Queenie has, has one sided conversations with everyone. Maybe she and Tina could have had one in Yiddish for two seconds. But like, you know, it, it's, it's fine. It just would have been nice, which is where I keep coming down on it. And and look, this is going into World War II, so it's entirely possible that if Tina gets caught up in the goings on in Europe, that we will get more of a like you know, plot related Jewish subtext plot thing. Yeah, I don't think we will. Just based on Harry Potter's universe written by J.K. Rowling, 
Christmas in the universe is not a religious necessarily British people being British people. Like, I don't think there's this sort of happy holidays thing going on in England right now. Like, oh, no, you have to say happy holidays. You can't say Merry Christmas. Like, that's a very American argument. And I just think that based on... Well, yeah, because we're not officially a religious country, and they are. Right. So I just think based on the writer of the film, I didn't necessarily go in thinking, okay, they're going to be super Jewish. I Like, I agree with you guys. Like, I wish there was something like... there's. It makes no sense that they didn't speak any Yiddish whatsoever the whole time, or you didn't even hear any Yiddish when they're Jews. And also, like... I mean, although, I guess if they were from England, they wouldn't necessarily... have just ha- like, know their, their family backstory was from where England. they came from. Right. They wouldn't necessarily have spoken Yiddish. So that, you know... Because there were there were Jews who... who you know, emigrated to England at that point. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, you know, that's basically where we are with the, with the Jew and, you know, Harry Potter. But there was um, one Hebrew sign. Yes, which was Hebrew, which yeah. doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, that probably wouldn't have been in Hebrew. Wasn't it about sperm? Yeah. I'm not sure how grammatically correct it was, but it was Hebrew. It wasn't at all grammatically correct, but it was supposedly about Jewish books, so, I mean, I feel like that I could have forgiven everybody that's all learned in Hebrew. Oh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not angry at it. I'm just saying, like, you know, I, I, I'm, that's not a thing that I feel needs to be, you know. Less less than, like, the Jewish thing, the Jewish aspects of the Goldstein being an issue. I wish that they had mentioned something about the fact that Makusa seemed very racially, like, friendly. And the 1920s in New York was not at all friendly racially, like, they were yeah, still having, like they have a person of color as their president. president. Yeah, and like Irish and Jews are still not white in America at that time. Like I was just yeah. very confused about what was going on and the fact that they didn't address it was just like something J.K. Rowling has always kind of lost over in Harry Potter was is racial anxiety outside of the wizarding community. Like it's always wizard versus or wizard versus wizard who aren't as racially pure. Like, she never, ever... Yeah, is skin color a racial signifier in wizarddom at all? Right. And it, well, it doesn't seem to be because um, Lita Lestrange is black. So, mm-hmm. you know, which, I mean, I, I, I get, like, it's it's definitely not a, a realistic uh, depiction, but I kind of like that, you know, for all of its, like, real prejudices and major flaws, the wizarding community just doesn't give a crap about skin color. Like, that would be really nice to me, you yeah. know? It makes sense when it's in England, because England definitely was, like, more racially affirmative in many ways. Oh, but there was still plenty of racism. Yeah, but literally in New York, you couldn't have Jews living in the same buildings as whites at that time, I think. If I have the right dates in my mind, I don't remember from my, like, AP sophomore year of high school. But, like, you literally had segregation still going on in much of the U.S., and you have Makusa as a black woman. I'm just sitting here like, this does not seem like that's possible. Like, it's not historically feasible, even if you're saying... I mean, maybe you're saying the argument is that muggles and nomads and wizards are so separate that they don't get racial issues on that side, but that just seems very unreal. They they split so long ago that, you know, that the racial tensions just didn't develop the same way. Yeah, and I think, I mean, to me it makes sense, like, I mean, again, this is all idealized, but like, you know, if they are kind of like, if they do look down on nomads, then to me it kind of makes sense that they would be like, oh, they're caught up on skin color? Ugh, like, you know, like, <laughs> who does that? Like, that is so muggle, you know, <laughs> whatever. Um, but, like, but, we would never do that. Yeah. Yeah, we discriminate based on real things, like blood <laughs> Bloodlines, yeah. <laughs> um, no, but point taken, it definitely, you know, it, I think it, re- it requires some mental gymnastics, but, but I kind of like those um, and what it would say. 
um, personally. But, um, all right, uh, should we talk about, like, the, the elephant in the room, which is Johnny Depp? Uh, do we have enough time to talk about this? Because this is a big topic. <laughs> yeah, I'll cut down um, the gaps. Okay. Um, so, yeah, Johnny Depp's in this movie. Um, now, I think we should say, to start, I'm pretty sure he was cast, and I'm pretty sure this was filmed before the Amber Heard allegations came out, although I could be wrong about that. Um, so, so... That's possible. I don't know yeah. the timeline, but given what they've said, you know, in defense of him, regardless of the allegations and the entire ordeal, uh, it doesn't seem like they really care one way or the other. Yeah. Has J.K. Rowling said anything, or...? Um, she said some, you know, generic praise of, you know, he did a good job, and, you know, we're looking forward to seeing what else he's going to do. Um, she didn't Which... say anything specifically about his domestic violence history. Mm-hmm. I mean, so... I, I'm based I mean, on she's that, also I, not in charge of casting. Uh, I mean, I think that I'm, I'm almost not sure that that scene was filmed before then, and that they had had a contract with him signed for the other movies before the allegations. The allegations also were not criminal. So he didn't leave right. anything wrong. It's just a personal thing. It's a personality thing and people knowing anger about it, but we are still like a pussy grabber. So I don't feel like America is necessarily not going to go see the next Fantastic Beast movie because Johnny Depp's in it. And I think that's definitely what Warner Brothers figured. It'd be much cheaper to keep him in and keep paying him than to cancel a contract with a major star. And I'm guessing that's Yeah, I think that's that's probably it. And And, you know, something that kept going through my head was like, damn, I wish there were consequences for this. Yeah. But we don't live in that kind of society. Like, it's almost like, what do you mean someone would lose a job because he was, you know, allegedly a domestic abuse? Like, like it's so messed up that, like, that's not even yeah, where my head went. And I'm for $7 million dollars and that she donated it to battered women, you know, even yeah. after everybody accused her of being a gold digger. And so she did that just to prove to them that she was serious. And they still don't believe her. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know, it's, it's, I think maybe, not that this is not a productive conversation to have because it's an important one, but, like, for me, I was almost like, wait, Johnny Depp has grown up? Like, what? Did anyone else feel that way? When you saw the, like, you know, Grindelwald is supposed to be blonde, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Like, that was my first reaction, but also just, yeah, I was like, ugh. I was I was all set to you know I was I was like okay well I'm never seeing another Johnny Depp movie again but that's okay because he only makes crappy movies and now this came out and it's not crappy and it's like now I'm conflicted about whether I want to see the next movie in theaters or if I'm just gonna wait and you know wait until it hits Netflix or comes out on DVD and then organize a viewing party with some friends you know so he gets less money out of it I mean yeah it you know it's tiny tiny drop in the bucket you know and it doesn't it's not gonna affect anything real but it's like i don't want my money going to him you know yeah no i totally understand that and i think that's that's the thing that everybody has to kind of decide for themselves and you know because it's not something that we're unfamiliar with unfortunately you know for for what one reason or another wanting to not support someone's work i mean like i don't like supporting woody allen's work personally Mm -hmm. um but i know other people who are like no he's an artist and i'm just supporting that and like you know so 
you know, still never seen it. any. I know this is a big gap in my cinematic education. <laughs> Are you even Jewish? Paul, <laughs> 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 but I'm a huge Midnight in fan. Yeah, I had an ex-boyfriend who was just like constantly referencing. You know Annie Hall, and I was just like, I, I, it doesn't mean anything to me. Those type of people are way. Oh yeah. yeah. If somebody, if somebody like comes up to you and is like, Woody Allen, like, oh, my favorite movie is whatever Woody Allen, and I'm, I'm just like, no, that's like telling me that your favorite author is Thoreau. I'm, I don't believe you. Um, <laughs> their favorite author is him. Oh. Okay, yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> then that means yeah. you write like a douchebag, but you think you're the best person ever. Well, anyway. Also, Anne Rand. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there's, there's a lot. There's a lot of ways that people can go wrong with their favorites. Yeah. <laughs> That's not to judge what anybody likes. Oh, yes, it it's is. It's more to judge what they say. <laughs> I mean, for, for me, it's like, more you're like what, to like what you're like, but there. I'm allowed to evaluate you based on that. Right, yeah, that's true. Um, anyway. Um, Back to Johnny Depp for a second. Yeah. Um, I mean, personally, I think it also matters that he's not actually the lead role. I, I believe he's not the lead role in the rest of the series. They're still not very clear about that, but, like, I have no problem with Eddie Remain, and I like him as an actor a lot. I've seen him. This is actually my first movie I saw him in. Yeah, same. I saw him in Les Mis. Oh, I forgot about Les Mis. I really did not like that movie, um, which is for another day. I like uh, bits and pieces of it, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, so he, I guess I have seen him in that. This is the first movie that he was the lead character that I saw, and I thought he did a really good job, and I think, like, I don't know necessarily what every actor in every TV show I've ever watched has been like in their real life, and, like, it's, it's kind of a success for the legal system when someone who's done something bad has been kicked off of a show, like, Criminal Minds just kicked off one of their leads because a horrible jerk on set to everybody, like... Good for you. It happened behind the scenes on Grey's Anatomy, I remember, in some of the early seasons. Right. So, like, that's that's great when that comes out, but I, but it's never really been a character role. Like, the Criminal, Mind ones, Criminal Minds was pretty big, because he was one of the lead stars since the beginning of the show. But, like, Johnny Depp isn't, he definitely wasn't the lead in this movie. And in the other ones, it's already set that he's Grindelwald. So, unless, like, he dies, I doubt, I seriously doubt they'll recast him. And then I guess it's just kind of like SM was saying, like, do you go and support it? And I mean, I guess it doesn't matter if you don't go or not, because it's not his headlining movie, uh, which I do think is a little Like, I know that he's not going to get, you know, he's going to get some of the money, but like a lot of the money is going to a lot of the other people who were involved, you know? And it's like, I don't want to take money out of their pockets, but I also don't want to put money in his. So, yeah, I've actually, I've had a lot of this is going to segue into that really quickly. There's been a lot of sexual scandals coming out this year. Like, literally, there's been one after another of, like, horrible prostitution, abuse towards women from a lot of really top stars in the industry that is with fandom. And, like, literally, I've had to go through my movies and go through my music and be like, do I want to watch this actor or listen to this singer anymore? And when it's ever it's that person is the lead, the first thing I do is delete it. And it's kind of like Chris Brown. Like, I don't want to support this individual person at all, but... For Johnny Depp, when I was thinking about it, it was like, okay, I definitely don't want to see any movies he's headlining anymore, but it's not his movie, and I don't necessarily want his this horrible human being to ruin my little bit of fandom happiness. I don't know if that's kind of juvenile of me. No, I totally get that. And it's, you know, it's, it's difficult, because like I said, I didn't go into this movie necessarily thinking that it was going to be all that great, you know, and so I was... It wasn't that big a deal to me to sit out and and not see the next the next four if it wasn't all that great, but then it then I really enjoyed it and now I you know I will I know when it comes out I will want to see the next one um, unless it gets really terrible you know 
terrible reviews. If you had thought that, if you had, well, they announced that Johnny Depp was going to be in the next before this one came out. But if you had known that he was going to be from day one, would do you think you would have gone to see it? Well, they did say that he was going to be in this movie. Um, they said that the back of his head, that was how they pitched it because they wanted to avoid spoilers. They said the back of his head was in this movie. So I didn't, you know, I was like, ah, I can, I can manage the back of his I, head. I mean, it came out pretty close to the wire, but I mean, I think I would. Certainly, I mean, again, you know, I, I mean, it, it's really just, you know, where, where you're coming from. And I don't blame or think anyone's wrong for not going to see the movie um but i also think that you know when when uh you know these contracts are so complicated that like he's getting a crap ton of money without us doing anything you know um which is not necessarily a reason to go but uh, you know i also do want the you know pas to get paid and like the people who got coffee and you know like, and I want them to be paid well and not just like, oh, we didn't make as much money for this movie, so, like, you're getting paid less next time or however it would work, you know. I mean, that's definitely something to take into account. I didn't see that movie Sausage Party. I don't know what oh, yeah. Called. I mean, I wasn't going to see that anyway. <laughs> yeah, anyway, it's definitely not my type of movie, but when I found out what was going on behind the scenes, apparently they were, like, firing people every other day. One of the, one of the directors and producers was actually manic. Like, they'd hire a new crew every week. Yeah, they, like, didn't pay half the artists. It was insane. They kept switching animators. They kept switching plot. Like, it was it was a horrible working to the point where before it came out, like, high-up uh, crew members literally wrote articles like, don't see this movie because we're not getting paid anyway because we're fired. And and that definitely is something that I, as someone who, like, I've worked in broadcast handy, like, the PAs want to get paid, too. Something from the Harry Potter universe is going to make tons of money around the globe no matter what. An individual person that really matter in the long run that a lot of other people do too but i think it, like i said before like he's not a main star at least of this one so when i went in kind of like you know, like okay like maybe johnny show up because i didn't realize that going up like i was just like i don't care like he's not ruining this whole thing so kind of like i don't know if like you know like there's two different types of people in the world like if you find like a piece of hair in your food you're just like you know i'm not touching it anymore or you're like okay like my mom made it it's definitely my mom's like <laughs> you take it out and you move on with your life yeah. well see I just go like oh this is so gross but I can't say anything because she'll get upset <laughs> I've been, I don't know hair in my food doesn't bother me I'm, I was type shot this meal and people found a bug in salad and I refused to eat it and they kept eating it and I was just like the salad has not been washed like, okay yeah I can't do it uh, probably not with bugs in my food but with hair it's like okay I can see where the hair starts and where the hair ends and I can remove it <laughs> But, like, I, I kind of felt going into this, that's how people were kind of approaching it. Like, either I'm going to let Johnny Depp's horrible villainy, like, ruin this. And his hair. Grindelwald and, 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 <laughs> <laughs> is supposed to be handsome. Yeah, I, d I don't know what happened there, because he looks kind of like, like yellow Play-Doh that was Why left out in the sun. Why mustache? He looks like Mad-Eye Moody, honestly. Like, Mad-Eye Moody, like, pale and, like, with an eye. Like, he looked crazed. And... The way that he's always been depicted in the series has never been as crazy. It's that he's obsessive, power hungry, but he thinks that, at, like, to some degree, that he's doing what is right. And they made him like look like how I imagine Johnny Depp right now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I feel bad because my initial reaction was, mm, Dumbledore, you can do better." And it's <laughs> like, "Yes, you can." Someone who's not a supervillain, but like, <laughs> Dumbledore could have been a supervillain too. I'm just saying. That's true. That's true. And I hope they deal with that. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> Um, I just want to 
uh, before we wrap up, go around quickly, rapid fire, uh, and say who we want to be cast as Dumbledore. If you have somebody in mind, um, I want Tom Hiddleston and Will Brook no substitutes. Look at his hands. They are Dumbledore's hands. Tamar, who do you want? <laughs> I didn't really think about this. I have no preference. I'm not really good at imagining, so I just waited until... Okay, cool. <laughs> and SM, how about you? I know you don't want Tom Hiddleston. Yeah, I'm not I'm not particularly attached to any choice of mine, but I just yeah, I've never understood the Tom Hiddleston obsession um in any aspect of fandom, so yeah, Tom Hiddleston would not do it for me. Alright, alright. Well we'll just have to see. Sorry. Uh, I mean how old what what age range? Like I still am not sure. We were were we discussing this before about how like they would probably be in their fifties, so like I can't math, so I'm just gonna pretend that Tom Hiddleston is the right age. Okay. <laughs> Um, okay, so that will bring us to the end of Nice Jewish Fangirls, episode two. Um, first, I want to thank everyone who has listened so far, uh, and we have like 90-some-odd plays on our SoundCloud page, <laughs> which is amazing. Uh, like, ridiculous. I was not, I mean, probably about half of those are me, but, <laughs> but still... <laughs> Um, that's really, really cool. And thank you so much to everyone who has, who has listened, who has asked us about iTunes, which is on its way. Don't worry. Uh, you can check out our awesome new logo. Uh, and you can also follow us on Twitter, uh, at Jewish Fangirls. You can find Jewish Coffee House at Jewish Coffee H. And that website is also coming soon. Uh, SM, where can people find you on the internet? Um, they can mostly find me on Facebook. You can follow my public updates. And I also have a blog and an Amazon author page. And Tamar, how about you? Um, I just like Twitter at Tamar underscore underscore Herman, double underscores. And you can find me on Twitter at Ink as Rain, and you can find my writing at hypable.com. Yeah, thank you so much for listening. We will be back soon. Live long and prosper, everybody. Mm-hmm.